Himalayas Studios. This might sound like a pro-clutching question, uh, but what do you think reality TV has done to our reality? Oh, God. I think it's distorted it in a way because I think that people now try to, especially with social media, try to speak in sound bites. And it is less of an organic flow of conversation depending on who you're talking to. Um, And I think it gives people a false hope or a false look at a lifestyle they've been sort of coveting, perhaps. Because we see, yes, we see like the tragic things, say on Keeping Up with the Kardashians after Kim Kardashian was robbed in Paris. We see the tragic things. We also see them going on private jets. We see all these things that are unattainable for a large amount of society. So I think it distorts reality in a way where we think these things are normal that we're seeing on TV, when in actual reality, they're quite abnormal. Mariah Smith is a reality TV expert. And I think she's completely right. The Kardashians have been distorting our worldview since 2007. Don't be rude. Are you kidding me? I swear to God. Don't be What are you doing? hurt you. Don't do that. Oh my god. Kim, would you stop taking pictures of yourself? Your sister's going to jail. My diamond earring came up in the ocean and it's gone. Kim, there's people that are dying. I just told you Anyone would be annoyed. I work really hard and I I know you do, honey, and that's why you bought insurance. But reality TV has been with us for decades. I have never in my life yelled at a girl like this. When my mother yells at this, it's because she loves me. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? Is this chicken what I have or is this fish? I know it's tuna, but it it says chicken. But if I were ever pass you along in life again and you were laying there dying of thirst, I would not give you a drink of water. So how much has it affected our lives? From Elias Studios, this is Servant Up Pod. I'm Nick Kwok. This week, dissecting TV's guilty pleasures with Mariah Smith and her new show, Spectacle. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. So, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I have a special place in my heart for reality TV, especially the Real Housewives franchise and The Bachelor Bachelorette. I'm a fan, and I mean that in the most earnest way. This is not a hate watch for me. This is something that I truly enjoy, which is probably why I feel a strong kinship to Mariah Smith. 
I am very much a self-taught reality TV sort of scholar. <laughs> when I was younger, my parents had this really interesting rule that you could learn from media. Yeah. So they had TVs in our rooms and they were like, if you see something that you think is a little bit above your, you know, age range, you can watch it, but we're going to have to talk about it like it's basically a college course afterwards. <laughs> so I would watch a lot of TV and things that I probably shouldn't have watched, but I was able to break it down with my parents and my family afterwards. And like that to me made TV and reality TV a little bit more academic and enjoyable. Wait, so what did your parents do that inspired this kind of watch anything philosophy? So my parents are both in academia. My dad is a professor or at the time was a professor and my mom like assistant dean provost of a university. So they were very into making almost everything a teachable moment. So we could watch like MTV Spring Break or Wild Thing or Austin Powers, but we would have to sit down and discuss, okay, how did it portray women? What are some themes you saw in the in mm. this program? Things like that. So then when do you remember reality TV becoming more than just television? Um, I would probably say so I I was watching it far longer than I than I realized. Like, cause I remember watching early seasons of The Real World, one of those shows, again, mm. that I could watch as long as we talked about it. But I remember, I believe it was the Hawaii season where it was Ruthie had to go to rehab in the midst of the season. I was trying to remember, like, last night, I just couldn't, like... I, I I've never gotten like that, you know? Have you actually looked at or researched what exactly an alcohol is or what yeah. different stages of alcoholism are? I know I drink a lot. Sometimes I'll just drink just because. And... Person who cares about you more than anything in the world. And I was so fascinated by the pressures that led to this climax in her life. And it always fascinated me. I was like, I wonder what would have happened if she wasn't one of these strangers stuck in a house in this very different, unique situation. Like, would her struggles have reached a point where she needed to go to rehab or would she have or should she have done that and instead of going on the show. So how did this become something you wanted to pursue professionally? I worked in TV and I was working as a production assistant on Best Week Ever. And we were assigned shows to watch. And the two shows I was assigned were the Steve Harvey show, which nearly killed me, <laughs> and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Mm. And I was sitting in edits, doing all this stuff, like, you know, continually for the show. And I was like, there are so many continuity errors in this program that I wish the world knew. So I told my friends and I was like, listen, it's easier for me to show you rather than tell you. So I created a Tumblr and created a post that had the continuity errors in an episode. And I was like, <laughs> this was for me to send to my friends so they could see it. I thought the five people were going to look at it. By the end of the week, 10,000 people had looked at it. And I was like, oh, I guess I have to do this again um and it sort of spiraled and I ended up getting paid for it and it runs on the cut the column is called keeping up with the continuity errors mariah's work on the kardashians has been featured on sites like jezebel and defamer alongside legacy media giants like the new york times and now her expertise is on display in neon hum's new show spectacle the show is all about the rise of reality television and it starts with what's considered the very first American reality show, the 1970s PBS show, An American Family. This is the setting for our series. 
This is the home of the William C. Loud family. The Louds are neither average nor typical. No family is. The B-roll of Santa Barbara cuts to a montage of the Louds. There's Bill talking on the phone, that's the dad, his wife Pat walking around outside, their five kids doing stuff kids do, like playing the guitar, fixing their hair, cleaning their room. Their faces get arranged like tiles in a Brady Bunch-esque way. But, unlike the Brady Bunch, you know things are not going to work out perfectly. Because when the title credits come up, an American family, the word family shatters like glass. Reality TV, like when we began, it sort of was this mundane, confusing avenue. And then it goes into this extremely sort of, not contrived, but very well plotted free for all. And it's more leaning on the fighting, the competition, things like that. But what we're seeing now with shows like the great British bake off and the circle and even slightly love is blind. It's more of a softer reality show where we're, we sort of evolved past the chaos of, you know, bad girls club. I don't get no sleep because of y'all type of vibe. (laughs) Um, And gone now to a, it's almost like we've gone full circle when we reach shows like The Circle and Great British Bake Off, where it's watching people be themselves and not expecting anything chaotic to come from it. Yeah, it, it does. Is it like accurate to characterize? Because my understanding and in my experience of like watching The Circle and Great British Bake Off is that, you know, human empathy and, gen- and gentleness suddenly comes and factors in. Yes. Why do you think we're seeing that turn happen? I think it's because we. We have se- we've exhausted the avenue of previous iterations of reality TV, and we needed something a little bit more of a balm or a solve to like come soothe us in the past few years we've had as a country. <laughs> um, something that's just <laughs> a little bit more straightforward and less chaotic um, that feels just more comforting than than entertaining in a way. So. One of the arguments that you're that you've made or making throughout the show is like like each reality TV show is itself sort of a reflection of the times. In your mind, do you see this as like distinct phases? Like from real world on, it was this kind of like, it, you know, it said something about Clinton or Bush's America. Like, how do you sort of see that in your head? These blocks. That's interesting. I see these blocks as like it. It really reflects the time we're in and what we need as a as a society because we needed something that felt like we were wrapped in a warm cocoon during the chaos of the previous presidency and, and other ways it affects the world. It's we're seeing what I see it as we're getting what we need emotionally from these shows. Like we didn't have chaos in the larger world. Hmm. We can watch that and it doesn't feel like it's too close to home. It still feels not necessarily aspirational, but out of reach. And those are things that I think we look for when we watch TV, especially reality TV. We're not necessarily looking for people like ourselves. We're looking for people who are in different situations than us that can give us a peek into another type of lifestyle. So the shows aren't necessarily like emblematic of the times, but almost a response, maybe like a contrast to the times is what yes, you're saying. Yes, yes. But then we have shows like Keeping Out with the Kardashians, which, you know, I, I still can't really wrap my head around. Um 
How important do you think that show is to American culture? I think it was quite important because it really flipped a switch on what it meant to be a celebrity. Because, like, we had the Paris Hiltons, we had the Nicole Richies, people who were sort of socialites and then became famous. So I would say because of the Kardashians, we have influencers. Because of the Kardashians, we have TikTok stars. Because of the Kardashians, we have Instagram famous people. There are people who taught us how to capitalize on being yourself or having yourself be your career. Um, And that I think is key, but it was wrapped up in this sort of family sitcom vibe because the earlier seasons were 22 minutes, have a very cheery intro that reminds you of like, unfortunately, the Cosby show or uh, like family matters, stuff like that. So it's this, this idea of being, for lack of a better term, being famous or being famous, they popularized that and made it a legitimate career. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing to sort of like kind of focus on because like the creation of the influencer, which is this like post-celebrity celebrity. Yeah. Like um, it's it's like a democratization of celebrity in a way. Um, one of the sort of things when I see in my head, like reality t- television kind of began blurring this line between like celebrity culture and like mainstream culture. And now like in 2021, it feels like it's all the same kind of ball at this point. Like it keeps recurring into itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when you kind of try to define or articulate the relationship between, uh, I guess, reality TV celebrity and like American culture right now, what is that relationship in your mind? I think that it it, it is American culture because there is now there's no line between reality TV celebrity and movie star celebrity with the world of, I think streaming and reality TV, we're all, we're seeing all these things on the same small screen in our living rooms. We're not going to the movies to see these people and our phones, I guess as well. And our phones too. Yeah. We're ingesting these people from different avenues the same way. So I don't really think we're getting that demarcation of, okay, this is, you know, an A-list or this is a Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or Jennifer Aniston versus this is a Snooki, a J-Wow, a Lisa yeah. Rinna type vibe. Like we're getting all of those the same way. So I think they're affecting us the same way. So it is, there's not a cultural difference between the traditional celebrity and the reality TV celebrity now. So what does it mean to be a celebrity today? To be a celebrity in 2021 is basically putting it all out there. And that's what now a lot of the famous people we're seeing are doing because we have the TikTokers, the reality TV stars, the Instagram people. It's like you have to live your life loudly um, and in Mm -hmm. a way that influences other people to want to live like you. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of people, I see people like Courtney Cox, Jennifer Aniston, you know, Nicole Kidman on Instagram trying to bridge that gap of, I'm a different kind of celebrity, but also I know that what society needs now is to feel like they're being led into my life and my lifestyle in some capacity. So it's almost like everyone's trying to bridge that gap between keeping your private life private and then making your private life public in some sort of way. Is there an ethical way to make reality television? More in a minute.
I'm LA's senior education reporter, Mariana Dale. The communities that are more marginalized or that do not have access are the ones that are in most need. I help families understand, navigate, and engage with the forces that shape education from kindergarten through high school. How do I explain to my daughter that the same day you got to celebrate a birthday, you got to celebrate the day your mama left. And I make space for students to tell their own stories. LAist. Independent journalism. Fact-based journalism. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. Mariah, since you watch uh, so much reality television, have you ever been tempted to apply to one of these shows? It has crossed my mind, but... I'm a big Amazing Race guy, by the way. I'm like, that's the one <laughs> I'll try out first. Before yeah, <laughs> like, I recently got into Survivor, and I, like, when we were recording that episode, I binged so many seasons, <laughs> and I never would have thought, like, oh, I could do that. Like, the only thing stopping me from applying for Survivor is the fact that I'm not a strong swimmer, and the illnesses that the contestants struggle with once the show wraps. Like, yeah. that is, you know, I'm like, I'm not trying to get a parasite. Yeah. But I would say, like, I wouldn't do a competition dating show. Like, that's not for me. But having cameras follow me around as I go about my daily life, <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. Like like a Keeping Out of Kardashian style uh, yes. reality TV show. Yes. Especially. How do you think that would work in 2021? Oh, God. It would be a lot of self-tape. Uh, it would basically essentially be vlogging because like, you can't really have a crew. So maybe I should get into YouTube. Actually, I mean, the YouTube thing is something that I think about a lot. Like I follow a lot of vloggers that I feel like I <laughs> I feel like I get a lot of the same kind of reality TV yes. like, juice out of vloggers. Is that like where reality TV is heading in a lot of ways? I think it already has because... I am seeing a lot of shows on YouTube that are like reality shows. Hmm. So I feel like people have caught on to the fact that, oh, this is a way to get a ton of viewers, get your content out there in a more straightforward and streamlined way yeah, and still work in the same way that you were working before. So I think that the line is starting to blur already. Interesting. So I'm also seeing a lot of overlap right now between reality television and podcasting. Um, like Rachel Lindsay, for example. She's she's the former Bachelorette. Um, she has a show, Bachelor Happy Hour. And she's been really vocal about the latest season of The Bachelor. What do you see there when you see reality TV stars taking up shop in podcasting? I, I really think what's happening is a way to get a revenue stream that's not tied to Instagram. <laughs> um, I think that they already have a built-in audience and a lot of them cover the same topics in their own way. Yeah. Talking about the Bachelor, Bachelorette franchise and then there's an endless wealth of guests you can have on because the, the turnover is so high. And it is a booming industry, obviously. So I feel like it's the easiest way to dip your toe in and get the sort of credibility under your belt to possibly, like Rachel's, launch this into, you know, co-hosting ET, stuff like that. So I think that they are using it as 
not necessarily a money grab, but a way to help finance their lives and as a launching pad to other larger things. I think part of the conversation that we should be having about the future of reality TV has to do with how it's being done now and how it should be done. Because I think it's inherently exploitative. And as a fan, you know, I want to see more things like diversity, more diversity, and and I want it to be less focused on American ideals. But I also think because of the way it's made, it's always going to commit some sins and be considered this guilty pleasure. I'm wondering if you think there's a way for reality TV to be done ethically. I don't think that there is fully a way to do it all out ethically. <laughs> like, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't quite get it because no matter who you are or what type of show you're doing, there's a level of production and producing that's happening where you're trying to get these storylines come hook or crook. So there's always going to be the stress and the stretching of reality to make it something that people at home want to enjoy. Well, if the industry could make some changes, what kind of changes would you make? I want to see less producing like mm. there is a show that i love called terrace house which is oh, on netflix uh, that's a great show it's great the show. best show. So <laughs> i would say probably that is how to do it ethically it's a great yeah. show and it's so mundane at parts and like it, when i tried to pitch terrace house to my friends and family i was finding it hard to be like so and so does this which is makes you want to watch because of x y and z it's like no you do see them just cooking breakfast going to the grocery store asking each other their aspirations and then sitting there staring at one another so i yeah. think that's the type of show that i would love to see more of because i just am fascinated by the human condition and by humans being humans and just staring out into the ether with nothing to say like that i'm like that's real life it's just such a perfect perfect show that i think if people could mimic what they're doing and although there have been you know in the reddit communities some concerns with how overproduced terrace house even is which goes to show (laughs) that you can't really have it all um yeah but i think that's the best way to do that well, I, it's, it's not immaterial that Terrace House is a Japanese production. Exactly. Um, which is, say, like, what is, how would you sort of articulate what the, like, specifically American factor is in the way that, quote unquote, mainstream LTTV has formed? Like, because it, it feels like it's a, it's purely American at this point, right? Yeah. It, it, the American thing is they want, we want the drama. We want, like, it, this is the issue I had with, um, so I, I love Love Island and it's, a. Mm. It was originally a UK show. There are different, you know, franchises in different countries. But when it first came to the US, they were more focused on not necessarily like, okay, are these people going to couple up? They were more focused on where can we insert drama? And like the UK show has a little bit of that down the line after you've watched like 40 episodes. But this, the US Mm. one out the gate wanted to pit people against one another. And I think that's what we're celebrated for and our downfall. You had so many reality shows to choose from for Respectacle. Um, it's a 10-episode season. What shows didn't make the cut that you were dying to talk about? I would say Love is Blind because oh, man. <laughs> we, yeah, that was in the in the mix and it just didn't work out with the episode structure. But I am so obsessed with that show. Like I just started watching Married at First Sight literally last night hmm. and Love is Blind are like two sides of the same coin. I was fascinated by how slow paced it was to begin with. And then Mm. it's like you get four reality shows in one. Absolutely. You get the (laughs) 
competition show. You get the chaos of not knowing who you're going to marry. And you get the couples therapy. You get the dynamics between these relationships, just the drama of the relationship. Shout out to Jessica feeding her dog wine. (laughs) It just is so multifaceted that it took the best of all of the reality TV worlds and threw them together to create a masterpiece. Well, uh, I really hope you get a season two of Spectacle so you can talk about Love is Blind. Um, Mariah, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Seven Pod is written and hosted by me, Nick Kwa. You can check out more episodes at alias.com slash servantapod. The show is produced by Andreas Wahe, James Trout, and John Parati at Rococo Punch. Web design by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at Alias Studios, including Kristen Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Muller, and Leo G. Servantapod is a production of Alias Studios. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.